You're listening to Off the Bat Podcast with your hosts, Jonah and Jonathan. So sit back and enjoy. Okay. For this episode, we brought in Matt Antonelli. You may remember that he was nominated by Josh, the owner of Plate Crate, from episode two. Matt Antonelli is a former Major League Baseball player for the San Diego Padres. Thanks a lot for joining us today on Off the Bat. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, no problem. So uh, today we're going to speak to you about your major league career and minor league uh, baseball career, as well as your YouTube channel and everything that's been going on during the quarantine and the MLB hiatus. Awesome. Sounds great. All right. So obviously, you had a relatively short MLB career. Have you spent uh, like about 10 years, let's say, in your playing career since you were drafted by the Dodgers in 2003? So because of this, you probably met lots of players, coaches, staff that you have worked with. So who would you say were some of your favorite teammates and coaches you got to know during the time you spent in the minor leagues and even in the majors as a Padre? Yeah, so I was I was really fortunate to be able to be around a lot of great uh, coaches, managers, and uh, and obviously met a lot of people, made a lot of really good friends. I, I played with five different organizations. So, um, you know, you meet a lot of a lot of really great people from all over the country. Um, coaches and managers that stick out in my mind, man, there's so many. I, I've, I mean, I probably had 50 to 100 uh, coaches over those years throughout all my different levels I played in. Um, but at the major league level, I was fortunate to be around Buddy Black when I was with the Padres. Um, he was, uh, he was awesome. He was, uh, one of my favorite managers that I had just cared a lot about the players, um, got to know them on a personal level, great communicator, uh, being a coach now myself, you know, I try to, um, take some of the things that I learned from him as far as how to treat people, how to talk to people. Um, you know, I use a lot of those in, um, in my business today with Antonelli baseball. I also got to be around Buck Showalter for a little bit and uh, learned a lot from him. He was always, um, you know, really focused on the details. I learned uh, how to prepare for the game, how to be ready for every situation. Uh, so that was great to be around him. Uh, and in the minor leagues, I had, uh, again, I had so many coaches. One of the things I tried to do was I tried to take, you know, one or two things away from, from every coach and manager I had, even if I, you know, whether I liked them, didn't like them. I thought everyone offered something that I could take and learn from. So um, I was fortunate. And then as far as players, it's hard to say who my favorite players were. Play with a lot of great players, had a lot of great friends. Um, my, I guess my closest friend throughout my career was probably Wade LeBlanc, who's still uh, still playing, plays with the Orioles now. Uh, we were roommates for a while, and we kind of moved up the uh, minor leagues together pretty much uh you know we got drafted same year we moved all the way up I think we played at every level together and then we got called up to the major leagues on the same day and and flew to uh, LA to make our debut together so uh yeah we ended up being really close yeah that's really cool yeah um that sounds like you really take a lot of skill manager skills and like uh developing skills stuff that you try to teach others from uh, your career, which is something that's really cool. Um, so you were drafted by the Dodgers in 2003, but chose to go to college. Was there a main reason you chose not to sign with the Dodgers other than schooling? Uh, yeah, so there was a couple of a couple of reasons. So first, um, you know, I had a scholarship to Wake Forest, and and you mentioned schooling. That was one thing. I, I chose Wake because it was a really good academic school and also, you know, really good baseball school. And so my goal for 
for a long time was to play professional baseball and try to play in the major leagues. And so when I got drafted by the Dodgers out of high school, it was tempting to want to just go and start my career. Um, but uh, I guess a couple of things. One, I, I thought I was going to be a pretty high pick. I was projected to go somewhere around like the fifth round or so. Ended up going into the, in the uh, 19th round, but they ended up offering me, I think, around like a fifth round signing bonus. And, uh, and I did think about it for a little bit. Uh, but in the end, I think the decision was, um, you know, I thought that I could go to college and really develop over three years. And I thought that I could get drafted higher. I kind of, I guess I was betting on myself. Um, you know, I was a Northeast player from Massachusetts and I played uh, a lot of sports growing up, but I didn't play baseball a ton just because it's tough to play baseball a lot up in this area. And so I felt like I had a lot of untapped potential. I thought I had, um, you know, I thought going to college for three years, I'd really be able to develop my skill set. And, uh, and so I, I decided to go to Wake and I made it my goal. I said, I want to be a first round pick in three years. And I really worked hard, you know, pretty much every day for those next three years. And luckily in 06 in the, uh, in the draft, I ended up going in the first round. So it, uh, it turned out to be a good decision. And, uh, you know, and plus I got to enjoy going to college, meeting, you know, a bunch of new friends and, and then finally getting my degree. And uh, so it worked out well. Yeah, so it's cool that you got to go through the uh, the college experience and you know uh, you know get better, go to the uh, become a first uh, round draft pick. Um, so on your YouTube channel, you share stories about your playing career as well as some coaching drills for people to work on. So looking at your channel, you've kept that up during the time in quarantine. So are there any differences and or challenges you faced when trying to make these videos in a time like this? Yeah, so it's definitely been interesting, and I've had to adjust along the way. Um, the one benefit is I have a lot more time uh, because, you know, our anti baseball season right now is postponed, and so we're not able to do anything. We can't go to practice. Uh, we don't have games. You know, typically at this time of year, I'm traveling all over the place. We're playing in tournaments, and, you know, I'm spending a lot of time with our players, and so I don't have that right now. So I have more time to make videos. Um, the challenging part is – you know, I can't get on a field. Typically my, my videos are done, you know, on the baseball field or in our facility and not having those available to me makes it difficult to, you know, make as many instructional videos. And so one thing I've been doing is trying to create more stuff where, you know, drills that you can do at home because, you know, most players around the country and even around the world are in the same situation. They're not able to get out to their fields um, or maybe get into their indoor facilities right now. And so, you know, I've been doing stuff literally in my driveway. I've been doing stuff in my basement. Um, I've been having my son as uh, as the person that kind of demonstrates the drills that you can do at home. So I've been incorporating him. So it's, uh, you know, it's been fun. It's been, I've been able to spend a lot of time with, with both of my kids and, and baseball has been part of that. We've been, you know, playing around the house. And um, so it's been, it's been good, but it's definitely challenging trying to get those videos done. Um but uh, I've also been branching off into some, you know, some new things. It's given me time to to play more video games. I've been playing MLB The Show 20 a lot more. I've been trying to throw those videos up. I know people are really itching for any type of baseball content since there's no games on TV. Uh, so I've been doing that. And, uh, and other than that, just trying to stay busy and kind of go with the flow until we get back outside, hopefully soon, and get back to baseball. Yeah, I actually, I like the word uh, you used itching for baseball content we were using uh baseball deprivation that's what uh yeah yeah so, <laughs> that's what we're doing with the podcast our release date is thursdays 
And so you've really shown everybody that baseball is more than just a passion. It's a lifestyle. Not only have you done this alone, but you've created a community of people who want to be just like you. So when and where was this inspiration to start Antonelli Baseball, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and coaching? Yeah, so um, I've always kind of known I was going to be a coach. I think it starts there. Uh, I love baseball. It's what I feel like I'm good at. It's it's probably one of the only things I am pretty good at. It's probably one of the only things I know an awful lot about because I've been doing it for a long time. I've been around the game for a long time. Uh, My dad was a baseball player and a baseball coach, and he still is. And so – you know, even when I was playing in professional baseball, I knew I was going to coach. And so I was, you know, I was taking notes. Uh, you know, I mentioned being around Buddy Black and Buck Showalter and a lot of really, really good baseball minds. And so I was taking notes at that time in preparation for when I was going to finally be um, a coach. And so uh, I always knew that that was going to happen. I just didn't know kind of what level it was going to be at. When I finally got released, uh, I started Antonelli Baseball. And the uh, main reason I started it, my dad was actually a, a travel baseball coach for a long time. And I would come home in the off seasons uh, when I was playing and I would help him run his practices. And I really enjoyed it. I just liked being around young players. I liked trying to teach them the game and some of the things that I was able to learn during my career. And uh, so when I finally got released, I talked to my dad and I said, we should just start up our own program uh, and he knew a bunch of kids in the area because he had been coaching. And so we started really small with three teams and we've built it up now to, you know, I think we have over 160 kids in our, in our organization. And so that's how Antonelli baseball started and my kind of coaching career started. Um, I also coached a little bit in college. So I mentioned, I, I wasn't sure what route I wanted to go. So I had Antonelli baseball and college coaching. I was doing them at the same time. After a couple of years, I realized I wanted to do more of the youth coaching. And so I went 100% into Antonelli Baseball. Um, and I already actually had my YouTube at that time. I had that when I was playing also. I was uh, just throwing up instructional videos throughout my playing career, just trying to help kids around the country and, and help uh, you know local players that uh, were playing for my dad for his travel ball teams. And so that's kind of how it started. And then as Antonelli Baseball grew, I found that we could use that to continue to help players, but also as a way to kind of market the business and get our name out there, uh, let people see, you know, what we're doing, what our practices are like, and, you know, my teaching philosophy and style. And it just continued to branch out from there. I tried Instagram, did the same thing on Instagram. We did Twitter for a while until my Twitter got hacked. Um, And then, uh, you know, so I'm always trying to come up with new ways or I want to make sure that basically – like people are out there interested in baseball content that we're able to reach them. And so we're trying all different types of platforms. It's going well and, and I enjoy doing it. So, so I'll keep, uh, I'll keep going with it. You know, you're, yeah, you're definitely, you know, oh, you're doing, you're, you know, you're doing well when somebody hacks your account. <laughs> I guess so. huh? <laughs> yeah. So the, the YouTube channel that, that you're doing is definitely uh, really successful. And, you know, I've watched a lot of your videos on uh, your playing career and also coaching. So, you know, I just wanted to say that, you know, you're doing a great thing there and uh, really like watching those uh, coaching videos. You're a great Thank coach. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. So after spending a good four years as a part of the Padres, uh, you started to sign with a few teams before retiring in 2013 in the Indians organization. So what was it like for you to sign with all those teams uh, going to all those places around the country like uh, Washington and Baltimore and uh, playing for the, those different organizations. And uh, did you notice any key differences while playing for certain clubs in terms of how their organizations are run? 
Yeah, sure. So, um, well, I'll start with, you know, you get comfortable being with, with one team for a while. I was with the Padres. I started with them in 06, you know, so I played, uh, I got drafted in June. And so I played half the, the year there in short season, a ball. And then you know, I play 07 in the minor leagues, 08, I play in the minors and majors. And then 09 in 2010, I'm basically back in AAA. But I'm with a lot of the same guys for for all of those years. And so you really make a lot of good relationships with people. And you get really comfortable being around, you know, you're with them literally almost 24 hours a day, it feels like, during the season. And uh, the season is long, spring training. And you get there in February, you're not, you know, you might go to instructional league or Arizona fall league. So you're, you're really with the guys a lot. And then all of a sudden in 2000, uh, let's see what it was, 2011, um, I'm non-tendered and I become a free agent and I sign with the nationals. And it is really strange that first time when you walk into a, a clubhouse, I can vividly remember it walking into spring training with the nationals and not knowing anyone. And uh, you know, it's a little uncomfortable, uh, but I will say you do kind of get used to it. That first year was probably the toughest, but then I started jumping around so much that uh, I got better at it, you know, and, and one thing I did realize is that there's really good people uh, all over the place. You know, like I, when I left the Padres, I was like, man, I'm leaving my friends and, you know, am I going to meet guys on the, on this new team that, that I'm going to like, and, and plenty of people go through that, right. Whether, you know, young kids are, are jumping from say elementary school to middle school, or maybe you end up going to a private school, um, and you have those same failings and then you, you get to a new place and all of a sudden, you know, a couple of days go by and you got a whole group, a new group of friends and you love it where you're at. So that's kind of what, it, what happened with me. I, I met great people along the way. Um, and so one thing it also helped with was, uh, was just getting more information, meeting new coaches, um, new philosophies. Like you said, every organization is a little bit different. And so I was able to, to, you know, when I went to Washington, they, they taught, some things a little bit different than maybe the Padres did and same with the Orioles and Yankees and Indians. Um, and so you learn different things, which is great for me being a coach. Um, as far as, you know, big differences between the organizations as a whole, I, I don't know if there's anything like earth shattering different um, except, you know, maybe with the Yankees, the, the, the biggest thing was probably, I thought of all the teams that played with the Yankees were probably the, the most different from everyone else. I kind of, it's hard to explain, but you get this feeling. And, and I didn't even play in a major league game with the Yankees. They sent me to AAA. Um, but you have this weird feeling where it's like, you know, you're part of the Yankees. I don't even know how to describe it. They do actually mention it a lot. And so they kind of talk about the organization a little different than, you know, the other organizations that I was with. Uh, first day I walked in the clubhouse in AAA, they, uh, they, the first thing they did was yell at me that I had a little bit of scruff on my face and told me to go in the, in the bathroom and shave my, my uh, face. And so that's definitely a little bit different from the other organizations. But, um, you know, they were all great. All five of the places I went to, I enjoyed and, uh, and learned a lot and was happy that, um, you know, looking back, I was happy I was able to kind of move around and, and play for a bunch of different teams. Yeah, I never really thought your situation would be uh, as comparable as switching schools. Uh, I actually never really considered a player moving on. I always just thought free agency was, like, so easy. And, like, now that I see your perspective, it's really changed the way I've been thinking about it. Yeah, for sure. So uh, when I played baseball, I played a few different positions. I never really identified as a certain one. I remember you saying earlier that uh, you didn't play much baseball when you were younger, but I'm sure you still played a little bit. So before you went into pro ball, were there any positions that you played uh, other than second base, uh, 
like before you played pro ball? Yeah. So I, so I grew up as a shortstop, uh, pretty much shortstop and pitcher. Um, I would say when I was between the ages of, uh, let's say, 13 and 15, I experimented with a few different positions. I actually ended up playing for a, a really good team when I was 13, a travel ball team. And uh, I wanted to play shortstop, and they told me to move to second base because I was too small and didn't have a strong enough arm to play shortstop. And so I got beat out by somebody. And then 14-year-old year, same thing. We got a new kid, and he was better than me at short, so I had to go to third base. Um, and then I kind of settled in mostly at shortstop for high school from 15 and older. Uh, and then when I went to college, I was recruited as a shortstop, but I got there and we had a, a junior shortstop, Ben Ingold, who was a really good player. And, um, and so they had him play shortstop my freshman year. They put me at second. I played one game at second against uh, Rice University, who was uh, the defending national champions. And after the first game, coach called me into the to the – uh, clubhouse when we were talking and he said uh, can you play third base and I, and I practiced second all basically all year to prepare to play second for for Wake Forest and I said third base I just said yeah sure I guess so I can go over there and play and so he moved me to third my second game and then I literally played third base the rest of my career in college uh, so I was drafted as a third baseman uh, then I got the pro ball and we had we had a kind of a log jam at third base with the Padres we had uh, me and David Freeze were drafted together and we played um in the minors together so we were like switching off games at third base we'd one with dh and one would play third and then we'd flip-flop we had chase headley who was drafted the year before he was playing at that level above us at third base um we had uh let's see kevin kuzmanov was the third baseman in the big leagues and so we had a bunch of third basemen so they ended up moving me to second base and that's where i kind of stuck with the padres uh, until 2011 when I went to the Nationals, and then they wanted to make me a utility player. So that's when I became kind of a second baseman, shortstop, third baseman. They had me play in the outfield. Um, and then throughout the rest of my career, I was kind of labeled as a utility guy. So I played. I would play first. I even was the emergency catcher for a couple of games. So I ended up playing everywhere. Um, you know, at that point, it's like you just want to play wherever you can so you can keep playing. Uh, and the more versatility that, that you have – you know, typically the longer that you can play. So uh, at this point, again, another thing helping me prepare to be a coach is uh, any position on the field can ask me a question and I've played there. So I, I can have a, a good perspective of, you know, actually being in, in a game uh, under the lights, you know, playing that position, which helps me, you know, talk to, talk to the players regardless of what position they play. Yeah. So, uh, Obviously, with the amount of time you spent in the minors and playing all these positions, and some guys uh, you faced ought to have been called up eventually uh, to the majors, and you probably met some great young talent down there. So throughout your career, who would you say is the hardest pitcher you've ever faced? Um, so I faced a couple of guys that really gave me trouble. Well, I guess I faced a lot of guys that gave me trouble, but um, the guys that gave me the most trouble – were probably early in my career, Daniel Bard, who was a uh, draft pick by the Red Sox, played at uh, University of North Carolina. I faced him in college and in pro ball. I couldn't touch him. He was like a 100-mile-an-hour arm. He Actually, I think he's, he was trying to make a comeback the last time I, I heard this spring training. Um, but he had some great years, and then he kind of lost his command. But when he threw strikes, he was one of the hardest guys for me to hit. Um, Tim Lincecum was a guy that I thought – 
Tim Lincecum was one of the only guys I faced in my whole life where guys would come back to the dugout and be like, uh, guys, we have no chance to hit this guy. And you don't usually hear that from hitters, but he was one guy that I heard multiple guys say it when they come back. And he was just, he was amazing. Um, who else? Ubaldo Jimenez, when he was with the Rockies and I was with the Padres, I thought he had some of the best stuff I saw. Um, I faced Max Scherzer one time. And he struck me out on three pitches. I'm sure if he faced me 10 times, he probably would have struck me out 10 times. I mean, he was very, very good. Those are kind of the guys that stick out. Uh, but there was – I didn't play at the major leagues a long time. Um, but the guys that I faced up there – I mean, I faced Clayton Kershaw. I think he was a rookie when I faced him. And he wasn't the, the – you know, he wasn't the caliber of pitcher that he became a few years later. But you could tell he was really, really good. So it's almost like every night you play – you're facing somebody that is just really good. I'm always, I always marvel at major league hitters that consistently can hit, you know, 300 hitters year in and year out. I don't understand how they do it because it is, it is so hard to do that. It's so hard to just get any hits at the major league level. Sometimes people take it for granted. You know, they see a 300 hitter and they're like, eh, you know, eh, 300 hitter. That's, that's cool. But it's like when you're there and you see it and you're playing, you know what they're playing against. It's amazing what some of the, uh, the best hitters of the game can do every, uh, you know, year in and year out. Yeah. Um, these pitchers, I I've heard of a lot of them, uh, even though they're major, major league careers. Uh, also some of them weren't very long. Some of them are like you mentioned, Max Scherzer and Kershaw. Yeah. Um, my next question, my next question for you. I know that, uh, I'm sure you still keep up to date with, uh, many different innovations to the sport. And so is there a specific brand that you feel that's better than others that makes like baseball equipment? Well, um, so one thing, I mean, the game is definitely changing over the last couple of years with technology coming into the game. Um, so as far as brands for equipment, uh, you know, I've used a bunch of different brands. Uh, when I play, a lot of the brands that I use when I played are still really good brands. So like, you know, for a glove, I was always, I use Rawlings gloves. I love Rawlings gloves. I still love them. Um, and so, and, you know, they're still doing a great job. You know, when it comes to bats, I was a Louisville slugger guy. Um, I know that uh, a lot of our players now use Marucci bats, um, which seem to be pretty popular. Um, you know, I think the one thing with bats is that I think it really is personal preference. And it's this way with a lot of equipment. It's personal preference. You find something that you really like. You like the feel of it. Sometimes guys get so caught up in, in the name of everything. And, uh, and so I always recommend the guys like, go try out a bunch of stuff, try a bunch of different bats and see what feels good and see what you like. Um, because there are a lot of good things out there. Uh, let's see what else, as far as like the real new things in the game for me is technology and, and those weren't around when I was playing, but you know, things that we use now with our players, we use, you know, bat sensors, we use blast motion, we use uh rap Soto, um, for our hitters, um, you know, there's there's KVS now, which um, you know, looks at sequencing of the swing. There's so many cool things out there when it comes to technology. And it's, you know, they got um, slow-mo cameras now for pitchers. And, uh, and it's only going to get – there's going to be more and more things that come out as we go forward. And technology really kind of takes over not just baseball but every sport. So a lot of really, really cool things. Uh, and I'm, uh, I always like to try to stay – you know, up to date with all that stuff because I want to be able to get our players, you know, whatever, whatever we feel we can use to help our players. I want to try to make sure that we get our hands on. 
yeah, there's so many different pieces of equipment that are just so advanced now because of the technology and like even, you know, robot <laughs> umpires are, are coming uh, to be uh, a thing in baseball. So, uh, you know, a question that I had uh, was, uh, when you're in the major, so how was the experience uh, of traveling to all those cities as part of an organization in the highest level baseball league in the world, basically? And uh, what would you compare it? How would you compare it to the minor league? Yeah, so the minors and major leagues are they're like two different worlds. Um, travel, travel in the minor leagues. I'll start with the minors. Travel in minor leagues is is not the most glamorous thing. Uh, you know, I have a lot of stories of our buses breaking down and having no AC and, uh, you know, staying in hotels that were not the nicest hotels. I can remember, uh, you know, we were in Texas and we had crickets, literally so many crickets. I think they were crickets jumping out of our sink and our bathtub that like, I didn't feel comfortable sleeping at night. Um, you know, you're eating, you're getting paid nothing in the minors. You're eating nothing but fast food. You know, you pull over in these small cities, or I shouldn't call them cities, these small towns. And basically it's like, you know, you got to grab Taco Bell and McDonald's every single day. And uh, so that's like life in the minors. And then you go to the majors and it's like, it is just the, it's the opposite end of the spectrum. You're, you're traveling, you know, in you're traveling on uh, basically first class, right? You have chartered plane. Uh, you don't even have to go to the airport in the minor leagues. You got to go to the airport, you got to get there. You got to take the first flight out at 6 a.m. And so you got to get up at, you know, 4 a.m. to get to the team bus. And the big leagues, the game ends. You just you hop on a, bu- a nice bus. You go right to the airport. You, you basically get off the bus. You walk right onto the plane. You fly out. The, the seats are amazing. It's all first class stuff. Um, you know, you're staying in the best hotels. You're eating the best food. You're getting paid. You know, you're not getting paid millions of dollars if you're a, if you're a rookie. But uh, you're getting paid, uh, if you're a rookie right now, you're getting paid, I think, $550,000 plus meal money. So you can eat whatever you want. So it's, just, it's totally, totally different. You're basically, I mean, I've never been a rock star, but, um, you know, I, I would imagine it kind of feels a little bit like that, I guess, depending on what team you play for. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, unfortunately for me, I got called up to the major leagues pretty quickly. And then I had to go back to the minor leagues um, for, you know, 2009, 10, 11, 12, and 13 season. And so when you go up to see what life is like in the major leagues, and then you have to go back to the minor leagues, it can be a little bit depressing. Uh, and it definitely makes you want to try to get back up and live the lifestyle of, uh, of a big leaguer again. Yeah, I don't know if it's just me. I was just in Texas and our bathroom had no lock. Do all the hotels in Texas require concern? I guess so, huh? That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, right now with the hiatus going on, uh, do you have like a message for like a minor league player, uh, one that maybe is concerned about getting uh, like paid for the season? I don't know if, uh, how that works. Yeah, so I'm not – I don't know either, actually. Um, I know that this has got to be a frustrating time for players – I can only imagine because, you know, as a professional player, most careers are very short. Like people sometimes see, you know, Mike Trout and they see these guys that have long careers, you know, uh, and they think that that's what everyone, you know, what that's what's going to happen to everyone. But there's there's way, way more players that have super short careers they are in and out. You know, they play in the minor leagues for a couple of years and they're done. 
And, uh, and so this has got to be a tough time for those players who they've got their one shot, right? They finally got to the point where they got their shot to hopefully make a, a big league career. Um, and, you know, now they're shut down and they're, they're getting one year older. I know it might not sound like a lot, but again, in a, in a short career, one year is a long time. And so, you know, I know it's got to be probably really tough. And I don't know if I have great advice for them. I think what I've been telling, you know, we work with a little bit of younger players, but we've got a lot of guys, a lot of college players, and we've got a couple of pro ball players. And I've just been telling guys to stay ready and do what they can uh, with the, with the uh, resources that they have and get creative. And, uh, and the goal I think is just to try to stay, you know, more ready than the guy, than, than the guy you're competing with. And uh, hopefully this all gets over with soon and we get back on the field and the work that they put in, whether, even if it's in a garage or, like I said, it's in the basement or whatever it is, um, you know, that little bit of work, hopefully that you were able to put in will, will pay dividends and you'll come out, you know, more prepared than the guy that you're competing against. So, um, you know, I wish all those guys luck and hopefully we get back to baseball soon. Yeah. So that's kind of cool how you uh, spoke, like you said, you have a few college players, even some minor leaguers, uh, because you also mentioned that you wanted, instead of coaching like a, a college team, you said you wanted to coach younger players. And so uh, like that's just kind of cool. Uh, being a coach for so many like different players at different age groups. Um, my next question. So we're all stuck at home, and I'm sure you have many things that you're doing, like training, editing content, and streaming. But what are some other things that you've been doing during your spare time? Um, so I think number one thing is uh, trying to keep my kids busy, which I don't know if anyone wants to hear about. But, um, you know, it's it's definitely interesting when I, I'm usually very busy when it comes to Antonelli baseball. And, uh, you know, there's just a lot of baseball going on. And so being able to be home and be with my family a little bit more. And, uh, you know, usually my wife is the one that's always got the kids when I'm going out to games and everything. And so um, I can definitely appreciate everything that she does when I'm not here because uh, we've got two kids. We've got a, a two-year-old and a five-year-old. And uh, they've got more energy than I've ever seen in my life. And so keeping them busy has been kind of my number one my number one goal and number one mission since I've been home. Um, when I'm not doing stuff that they want to do, whether it's playing dress up or, you know, with my son playing baseball or basketball or whatever, um, I've been, uh, yeah, so a lot of the same things as far as online social media stuff. I, I mentioned earlier, I've been, I've been actually messing around with, with streaming video games. I actually started a Twitch uh, channel. And so I've been playing more MLB The Show. I've been doing more video games. I've been trying to build kind of our audience. I've been branching out into some new things. And so that's been a lot of fun. Uh, I've met a lot of new people that, you know, there were probably people that never watched our channel before. But since we've kind of gone to some video game stuff has been great. Um, I've been spending time actually watching uh, other major leaguers play MLB The Show, which has been which has been fun. And uh I needed a baseball fix. I needed some baseball in my life. I need some type of sporting event in my life. So uh, I think those have been basically, basically the main stuff. And uh, just also getting prepared, you know, there's a chance that we could start our Antelope baseball season in the next couple of weeks. Um, our, for Massachusetts, our stay home, stay at home orders uh, go till May 18th. I don't know what's going to happen after that. 
Um, but you know, there's a possibility that we could get back, back out and play baseball. And so I've been preparing for that and trying to stay in touch with our players and keep them prepared and keep them kind of motivated through this time so that, you know, hopefully we can get out there this summer and, and get back to playing baseball and having fun. So those have pretty much been the main things that have been taking up my uh, schedule. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, watching some MLB yeah. show uh, Players League who knew uh, Blake Snow would be so good at it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've had fun watching him. So, yeah. So with baseball being suspended, you know, I watched the video uh, of yours where you explained that, you know, you're a Red Sox fan uh, growing up. So um, obviously we're all hungry to watch some more uh, baseball. So before the season was suspended, which teams were you eyeing coming into the season and which players were you most excited to see play? Oh, man, I was uh, I was excited to see a lot of players. I mean, I think um, off the top of my head, I wanted to see some of the young players. I wanted to see the young guys on the Blue Jays and how they continued to develop. I thought they were really exciting, you know, watching Guerrero and uh, Bo Bichette and Kevin Biggio and seeing how they had success coming up, you know, as young players. And I think they're going to continue to get better. So I wanted to see them. Uh you know, I wanted to see uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. and see, you know, hopefully had him put a, a full season together and see him continue to play. I think he's one of the really young, young superstars in the making. Um, I wanted to see, uh, I wanted to see Mookie Betts and how he did with the with the Dodgers. You know, being a being in Boston, my my son's favorite player is Mookie Betts, and you know, he still, he still can't comprehend how he's not in a Red Sox uniform anymore, but I wanted to watch him with the Dodgers. Wanted to see how Bellinger, you know, Bellinger's such a young player and obviously went bananas last year on the field and see how he continues to get better, which it's hard to believe that he can get better, but I think he's going to. Um, and then as far as teams, um, you know, I don't know. I, 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 it's interesting. I don't follow a particular team, even though I am from Boston. Um, I grew up a Red Sox fan. And then when I started playing professionally, it's strange how it happens, but I just, you know, you're playing every night and you're competing against guys. And I just stopped kind of following the Red Sox. And so I don't follow a particular team, but I, I do like to watch players. And, you know, I, I, I was interested to see how the Yankees were going to do. I know it sounds weird being from Boston, but seeing if the Yankees could stay healthy and with Garrett Cole, see what they would be able to do. I thought they were going to be fantastic this year. Um, I wanted to see how the White Sox, you know, White Sox went out and made a lot of additions. I think they're going to be pretty good. I wanted to see how they did. And I know there's so many storylines and so many teams. I think every year is exciting for baseball, but um, I don't know. I just felt like I was really pumped up to watch this year. So hopefully, I don't know if we're going to get a season or not, but I would love to be able to watch a little bit of ball uh, sometime soon. Yeah, hopefully it happens because there are so many, uh, you know, questions that were asked before the season that, you know, we would all love to, to Absolutely. watch the baseball. Yeah, oh, yeah, one thing that I, I do like, because you say you're from Boston and you don't uh, hold a, gu- a grudge against the Yankees, uh, I, I'm I'm just thinking you're looking at the teams uh, as like as a coach, you're looking at the players individually, uh, especially as a player who played in, uh, who played pro ball. Uh, I find that cool looking at everything as a coach uh, versus a player. I think that's, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I watch every game as a coach or a manager. Um, so, I mean, I, I watch a lot of games now just to, to try to learn the game more. And I try to put myself in the manager's shoes. Um, and I say, or I put myself in the player's shoes still and, you know, say what pitch would I throw this guy in this count or what pitch would I look for? 
you know, I'm looking at how catchers receive, uh, receive the ball. Um, I'm still looking at mechanics of swings and how fielders field and how outfielders get jumps and all that stuff. So I can hopefully take something. And, you know, a lot of times I'll go to our game or practice the next day and say, Hey, who saw, um, you know, who saw Mookie's catch and did you see how he turned and all, you know, uh, who saw this stolen base. So I use a lot of the game stuff to get myself better as a coach, but I'm always watching it. I am definitely watching it from a manager or coach's perspective, you know, in game situations, um, you know, how you're going to use a bullpen, uh, you're going to bring the infield in or not, you're going to shift on a guy, you know, all that stuff. Um, I do find myself kind of thinking about that when I watch games. Yeah, so I saw on YouTube, uh, you also have a channel. It's a bit smaller, but it's called Antonelli Softball. So I'm just kind of curious about that because you say you have a facility for, uh, like, your coaching for baseball. Do, do you same coaches, same facilities? I'm really curious. Yeah, so, so we start – so Antonelli Baseball, our organization is all baseball players. We don't have softball. Um, but one thing I found is – um, I was getting softball players and parents and coaches asking me questions about softball on our baseball channel. And uh, a lot of people were like, you know, I, I love uh, your baseball stuff. Have you ever thought about talking more about softball? Um, and so I threw up a couple videos comparing. I started looking at softball swings and being like, you know, I, I don't know much about softball, but let me just see what the softball hitters are doing, the best hitters. So I started studying them, and I'm like, man, the best softball hitters that I'm watching, they swing like the best baseball players. It's like a swing is a swing. And so I started putting those videos up. People liked them. And uh, and then I said, you know what, let me, let me just do a dedicated thing so I can talk a little bit more about softball because I started to get interested in it. So I started uh, the Antonelli Softball page. I don't know how long ago I did it, maybe a year ago, maybe a little less. I'm not sure. But um, And, yeah, so I just started throwing up softball swings, swings that I like, um, just started talking about the game. And uh, I don't know how big our following is. I mean, it's not huge, but I think it's a couple, couple thousand, two or two and a half thousand or something like that. And, and I've actually, if you compare it to this podcast, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's been, it's been great. And, you know, I, I, I work. So although Anthony baseball doesn't have softball teams, I work with a lot of softball players. So I do a lot of lessons, individual lessons with softball players. And I do a lot of online lessons with softball players um and so you know it it probably will it will never compare to our baseball business but i just enjoy helping players so whether it's baseball softball um for me it doesn't really matter um i just you know i enjoy working with players and so uh yeah we'll see where that goes i don't know if we'll ever have an actual antonelli softball program um we may uh you know down the road but we'll see Yeah, it's cool that you, you know, tried that out. It seems like you even um, learned some stuff yourself about uh, softball while making that, uh, that channel there. Um, so my next question, and it's more unrelated to your playing career but, um, or, or coaching. So, however, there's been some debate in the MLB as to whether there should be a DH or not. So what's your opinion on it? And should pitchers be able to play both sides of the game offense? Yeah, so um, my thought on this, and I've made a couple of videos on YouTube about this. And uh, people seem to be really passionate when I, when I talk about the DH. Uh, me personally, I like the DH. Um, I know that it takes a little bit of the strategy away from the game. I mean, I played in the National League, and so I understand that there is a lot more strategy when the pitcher is in a lineup versus when you have a DH. You know, in the American League, 
there's not a whole lot of things done in the American League um, as far as pinch hitting and, you know, you don't double switch and um, defensive replacement, all that stuff. Like the bench is just not used as much. So I get that. With all that being said, uh, I don't have a whole lot of interest in watching 95% of the pitchers uh, just stand in the box, scared, you know, out of their mind, not wanting to hit. Um, you know, I don't want to watch guys hit zero or hit a hundred. Um, I do know that there are some pitchers that can hit like, uh, and those, and that's I mean, I have, I enjoy watching that. Uh, and, and if a team says, you know what, we want to let our pitcher hit because we've got a Otani on our team, um, then sure go for it. Uh, but I don't want to watch guys hit that have no interest in hitting never practice hitting, uh, haven't hit in like 25 years since they were, uh, you know, a little kid uh, in, in minor little league ball. Um, I'd rather watch David Ortiz hit. Um, and so that's kind of the way I feel about it. But I, I totally understand people that say, no, I want uh, the strategy in the game and I can respect that. Um, I just think it's more exciting to watch, you know, a guy come in there that can just absolutely mash Yeah, I would definitely. If you have a player like Otani on your team, as you mentioned, um, as if you have the DH rule, um, yep. you could just put Otani as your DH and pitcher. Uh, so you know that would work too. So it's not like taking away from a pitcher's ability Absolutely. to bat if they can do that. Um, so what do you feel is baseball's most overrated stat, and uh, do you feel that stats and numbers matter a whole lot? Because I know a bunch of people had different opinions. Yeah, on this sure. As well. So. I mean, I do think uh, baseball is a game of stats. It's a game of numbers. I think that numbers are really vital. I think that numbers do tell you um, a lot with with what is uh, going on with uh, within the game. And so, it, like the old school statistics, you know, the ones that you've seen on TV for a long, long time, um, you know, batting average, RBI, uh, runs scored, uh, you know, those type of stats. There's some of those like batting, you know, batting average doesn't always tell you the truth. And I, you know, anyone that watched Moneyball knows that, you know, on base percentage is, is, is probably more important than batting average and RBI can be, um, you know, overrated because it depends on, you know, who else is on your team and the situations that you actually get up there with the ability to drive in a run, um, you know, on defense errors have been, you know, forever people judged infielders and, and players, defensive players on errors. And, you know, we've realized that that's probably not the best way to judge players. So I think that numbers matter. I think it just depends on what numbers you're looking at. And there's so many new numbers out now and so many new statistics that do a really good job of identifying how well or, you know, not well a player's doing, um, and I think in another few years, I think those like right now, some of them are, are still kind of obscure and people are like, you know, what is OPS plus or, um, you know, what are defensive runs saved or, or whatever the stat is. Um, but in a couple of years, I think that those are going to be kind of transitioning into being the main stats and people kind of understand them more, the more that they are thrown up on uh, on television, you know, when you're watching a game uh, as far as an overrated stat, I don't know. I think, I think probably the simple answer is, you know, batting, you know, batting average um, just because you're a three. It, it, believe me, if you hit 300, I'll, I'll say this. If you hit 300 in the big leagues, you can hit like there's no doubt about it. Um, but if you hit 300 and you don't get on base any other way and your on base percentage is 310, 
Um, then, you know, you're, unless you are absolutely just hitting for a ton of power, you might not be as valuable as somebody uh, that maybe has a lower batting average. Maybe they're hitting 260, you know, but they're getting on base at a, at a 375 clip or, or something like that. So, um, but, and, and I'm also not an expert in, in statistics. I mean, I'm, uh, I try to keep up with it, but um, there's, there's a lot of people that are a lot smarter than me when it comes to that. Yeah, the interesting thing that you uh, pointed out there with uh, RBIs, because um, an RBI could just be totally different in different scenarios. Like you could step up to the plate, no one on base hit a home run. That's an RBI. <laughs> or you could have bases loaded, no outs, ground into a double play. And a run scores, yep. and that's also an RBI. So you know that could also tell it doesn't tell the story that. Of yeah, absolutely, and it depends on who's on your team. And if you have, if you've got, you know, if you're a four hitter on a team and you've got three guys that hit a, in front of you that are on base machines, um, and just say they're all getting on base at over a forty percent clip, um, yeah, you're going to have an awful lot of chances to drive those guys in. And even if you're not great, but you're just good or even average. Uh, you're going to drive in a lot more runs than a guy that might be a great hitter, uh, but he plays in a worse team and his, his offense stinks. And, you know, the guys that hit in front of him get on base at a 300 clip. Um, and so, yeah, it's just a stat that, you know, I think if a guy, if a guy's doing it year after year after year after year, you know, there's probably something to be said for you. Know, this guy can hit a little bit, but I do think it can be misleading at times. Yeah. Um, like one stat that I think is overrated is uh, exit velocity because uh-huh. I think if somebody if somebody has a lot of homers they can hit a lot of homers it doesn't matter how hard they hit the ball it matters whether they get it over the wall it's cool for the fans to see how how hard the players are hitting but it's really not a definitive stat yeah for sure I mean it's not it, so it's not always how hard you hit them it's how often you hit them hard I think is a good way to think about it and so um, yeah. Uh, with that being said, I do think, listen, if like, if you're judging talent at a younger level, let's just say for us, you know, for Anthony baseball, we have high, a lot of high school players. Um, I do think that exit velocity for those guys, like we still want to be able to square the ball up consistently, but there is something to be said again, if you want to play in the major leagues, you've got to be able to hit the ball hard, right? You've like, you can't hit the ball uh, 75 miles an hour and play at a high level. So you do have to be able to hit the ball hard. Um, but just judging, you know, everything off of, you know, looking at a big league player and saying, oh, this guy hits the ball really hard. He must be really good. That can be misleading again because it's not about – it's not so much how hard can you hit it. It's how often can you hit it hard. And they've got some interesting stats. Like if you go on Baseball Savant or StatCast, um, you know, and you look at barrels, which takes into consideration, you know, not only how hard that you hit the ball, um, but, uh, you know, and again, some people don't like launch angle, but – it basically is giving you an idea of what this player's ball flight is, how consistently is he squaring the ball up and how hard is he hit it. And you put all those things together, then you can start to get a pretty good idea of a player. But um, yeah, I agree with you. Just exit velocity alone um, can be misleading. Yeah. The launch angle is, uh, I, I know that your, your home run that you hit was at Coors Field. And there, <laughs> if, you, if you get the ball up high, it has a good chance of uh, For sure. out of the park. <laughs> Yeah, so let's keep season two of the podcast going strong. So the last question that we're going to ask, it's what brought you on the show. So do you have any nominations for players, coaches, or friends who you think would be a great voice to host on this podcast? 
Oh boy. So you already got Josh banned. You got him a plate crate. He's the one that, that nominated me. Is that what you guys said? Yeah, he did. All right. Uh, let's see who else do we have? Have you guys done uh, John Madden when you go pro baseball yet? No. All right. So I, well, he, he comes to mind cause he just, I just yeah, got off the yeah. phone with him like 10 seconds before I talked to you guys. So um, you can, so that's one. If you want to try uh, John Madden, have you ever seen his page? You go pro baseball. He's got a really good YouTube page. Well, that sounds uh, like a cool idea. Uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll try him. Tell him I said that he has to Thanks come on. Okay. <laughs> uh, cool. To the office, yeah. uh, to our community, uh, this is us officially signing off. So subscribe and listen to our podcast and YouTube. Follow our Instagram and our Twitter to keep up with our notifications. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Uh-huh.